So the pursuit, you guys ready? Week number four, the pursuit. And as you know, we've been praying, I mean, we've been teaching through the tabernacle, um, which is an Old Testament um, tabernacle that the children of Israel had to uh, set up according to God's instructions. And, um, you know, out of Exodus 25 is kind of where God instructs his people to build a tabernacle so that he can dwell with them. And we know in week number one, we, we, we were taught that God pursues us, and thank God he does. He pursues us. And then week number two, we kind of talked about the outer court of the tabernacle, at the, which was uh, the gate and the brazen altar and, and the uh, laver. And then week number three, we talked about the holy place, and we talked about the lampstand and the showbread, which was inside the holy place. And by the way, if you're like, man, what is this guy talking about? These are articles and patterns that have symbolic meaning for us today and a significance for the people of God then. And so if you never heard about the tabernacle, then we really encourage you to go back and listen to the last three weeks to kind of catch up. And by the way, we're really taking a bird's eye view in this message uh, series. Uh, really, we're only covering about 30% of what we could even cover. I mean, there's so much to cover. So for you uh, out there who knows a lot about the tabernacle and maybe there's something I don't say or maybe there was something Pastor Jordan didn't say, well, we, we're aware of that. We're only hitting about 30%. We could, we could spend a year on the outer court, but we're not. We're gonna spend about 30 minutes today if I move on. <laughs> and by the way, you know, so the way we set up these messages, uh, we, we have a couple worship songs in the beginning and then we also have a couple worship songs at the end, and this, that, that is the moment that, that we're responding to the word of God, that we're responding to the message, where we're responding to what God is doing in our heart. And so I wanna encourage you to stay during that. Uh, it's, not, it's part of it, it's part of our, our message, the last two uh, worship songs at the end. So the, the tabernacle, we got a picture of that. I believe you can throw that picture up. And so there's a picture of the tabernacle and you'll see the gate, then you'll see the outer courts and uh, then you know, you're know going into the, the tent there. And when you walk in the tent, we talked again last week about the showbread and we talked about the lampstand, but this week we're gonna talk about the altar of incense. And so I think we have a picture of that as well. You can put that up. There's the altar of incense um, one of the re replicas. I was looking at a replica earlier this week that, that someone had put together and it kind of looked like that and uh, it had a little sensor in the, in the center of it. But there you go, it's an altar of incense. It was a golden altar actually in the holy place. So you had the outer courts and then you went in the tent and in, inside the tent was the holy place. You had the showbread of present, the, the lampstand, and you had the altar of incense right there in the middle. And right behind the altar of incense, you had a curtain or a veil, and then outside, when you went through the veil, you got into the most holy place. And some would call that the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, the very presence of God, and we're gonna get there. But right in front of this curtain and this veil, you had the altar of incense, and you can see it right there, and it separated uh, the holy place from the most holy place. And this altar held a significant and symbolic meaning and a, and a role of worship practice for the Israelites at that time. And it was the incense that burned in the morning and in the evening. And we see that right in Exodus chapter 30, verse seven. And Aaron, he was the high priest, and Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. 
Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron steps up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generation. So essentially this incense was burning day and night, night and day. And it was a regular pattern that God put in place for the priests to operate in. And so they would come in and they would burn that. They would take some coals off the brazen altar uh, that was in the outer courts and the brazen altar, remember, was where the people brought their sin offering before the Lord and it burned there and the priest would take some of those coals and bring it to the altar of incense in the holy place and it was a daily ritual uh, that they did. And the thing about it is it was a symbolic meaning that God was communicating to them and they were communicating to God. God was with them, he wanted to dwell with them, and that's why he said, build me a tabernacle that I might dwell with you. See, God always had a people, and he always had a place for his people. And his heart from the beginning, if you go back to the book of Genesis, it said Adam and Eve walked in the garden and communed with God. God was with him, it says God was with them in the garden, and so God always has a desire, God always has pursued us to be with him, and he was setting up a pattern for the priest at that time. And so there was something significant, so every, every day, morning and night, the priest would go in and he would, he would get the altar of incense going and he would go through his rituals there, but there was one day of the year, and it was called the Day of Atonement, and uh, that's when the high priest, only the high priest, would actually go behind the veil where into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement one time a year, and uh, he would take a censer full of that coals. Uh, so, some Jewish scholars believe that that censer had handles on it and that he would hold it up and get, go into the Holy of Holies like this with, with incense going before him. We see that on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 12, it says he, talking about Aaron, the high priest, shall take a censer full of coals of the fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil. Now remember, you're in the holy place and then behind the veil is the holy of holies and only one time a year was the high priest granted access into the Holy of Holies. And if you went in there when you shouldn't, you would die. And that was, that was the instruction from the Lord. I think that's a pretty good instruction. I would be careful about going behind the veil if I knew I was gonna die. Now when you think about the veil, uh, it does have a significant meaning. We have a picture of that. We can throw it up. The veil, um, there it is, you know, again, it, it's like a curtain that they put together and uh, it separated again the holy place from the holy of holies and in Exodus chapter 26, it says the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. Now again, the priest would only go in there once a year in the holy of holies and inside the Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant was and the very presence of God. That's where the very presence of God was, was in the Holy of Holies. And it, and, and it, was, 
it was God was with them as they were on their journey to the promised land. You remember Moses, he told God, he said, God, you've got to go with us. I need your fire by night. I need your cloud by day. I need your very presence to continue to go with us because without you, we'll never make it. And so this was a symbolic meaning when the priests would go in on the Day of Atonement, the people were wanting to know what the response was from the priest and what God was going to say to them. And how many of you know that we're like the children of Israel and we need to know what God's saying to us? And we need to be like them and we need to say, God, I do need your fire by night and I do need your cloud by day. I'm utterly dependent upon you that if you don't go before us, God, I'm not gonna go, I can't go because my strength won't get it done. And, and I think God, he set it up that way. And it's a privilege that we're able to, to do that. So when you went past the veil, you had the Ark of the Covenant. And so we have that right there, a picture of that as well. And when the, when the priest would go in there on the Day of Atonement, he would take blood from the brazen altar in the outer court, remember, outside the uh, holy place. He would take blood from the brazen altar and he would sprinkle that blood on the top of the Ark of the Covenant called the mercy seat. So right there you'll see the mercy seat and uh, he would take the blood from the sacrifice once a year on the Day of Atonement and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat, which is actually a representation of God's mercy to the people. It's a representation also of the gospel. Uh, all of these patterns point back to the gospel. I mean, we see the pattern in the physical realm in the Old Testament, but it represents the pattern in the spiritual realm, the unseen realm in the New Testament, and it all points to Jesus, and it all points to the gospel, and it all points to the blood of Christ, the spotless lamb that takes away the sins of the world. I think it's a tremendous thing, but for us, uh, in the natural mind, in the finite mind, it really doesn't make sense. Think about it. You know what I mean? We got blood, we got an altar, we got a curtain, man, we got sacrifices. And, and unless the Spirit of God reveals to us the Word of God, it's foolishness to us. But when God gives us the revelation of the pattern that we see in the Old Testament revealed to Jesus in the New Testament and how he called us and pursued us into a relationship and the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, all of a sudden things change and you see through a different lens. That's why we pray and that's why we worship and that's why we come here once a month to pray that God would open up the eyes of our understanding, that, that, he, that, that, that the light of the glorious gospel would pierce through the blinders that, are, that, that have trapped the minds of people who don't believe. Think about it with me just for a moment for those of you who've given your life to Christ and the day you gave your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you, all of a sudden you begin to see the word of God differently. All of a sudden things started to make sense in your spirit. You might not intellectually understand all of the articles and, and, and every jot and tittle of the word and all of the theological ramifications and the different camps that take different approaches and the arguments that people have had over, over centuries about the word of God, but you know in your heart that you've been bought by a price. You know by the Holy Spirit that you've been sealed unto the day of redemption. You know in your spirit because the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that you're a son and a daughter of God, and you know that. We know that. Well, hey, let's give it up for Jesus if we're going to clap there. 
Man. And we need to learn the word, but I'm gonna tell you, we have to be, the word has to be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And so we had the mercy seat right there on the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus chapter 25, verse 21, it says this, and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the Ark, and in the Ark you shall put the testimony that I'll give you. By the way, we're gonna talk about some of the articles that were in the Ark of the Covenant next week as we close out this message series. You shall put the testimony that I shall give you there. There I will meet with you from above the mercy seat and from, and from between the two cherubim there on the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. And so here we see a pattern that God was putting in place for his people. And those patterns are kind of still in place in Christ for us today. So what does it mean for us today, the new covenant people, the followers of Christ? What is this pattern? What, is, what does this have to do with me today? Well, again, first of all, it's very symbolic of Jesus. We see Jesus all through the tabernacle. And the altar of incense, when you think about the altar of incense, which is kind of where we're gonna hang out just for a minute, it really represents praise. It represents worship and prayer, the altar of incense. It, think about your worship and think about your prayer as being incense before God. I was listening to a, a, a scholar talk about incense and how it rises up and how the prayers of the saint, God hears all of our prayers but doesn't mean he answers all of our prayers, everybody. But the powerful thing is that God hears all of our prayers, and some people believe, some scholars say that the altar of incense was the tallest piece of furniture in the holy place, two cubits high, which means that, which is symbolic to our, our greatest calling, uh, uh, the, one of the main reasons we were created is for prayer and for worship. We were created for worship, we were created for prayer. And guess what? When we're praying and when we're worshiping, it's like incense going up to God. The daily burning of incense emphasized the continual communication and relationship between God and his people. We know 1 Thessalonians says pray without ceasing, right? Morning and night, night and morning, we're offering up a prayer, we're offering up worship, we're offering up incense before God. We don't have time to get into the priesthood of the believer, but we're all priests that can offer up praise, can offer up the sacrifice of praise and worship before our God, the maker of heaven and earth, because of Jesus and it's like sweet aroma to him. That's a powerful reminder for us that God hears us and that we should keep persisting in prayer, we, we should keep persisting in worship no matter what. Sometimes it's easy to worship and pray on the mountaintop. It's hard to praise in the valley when you're getting beat up, you know what I mean? When things are not going the way you thought they should, when you're being attacked from the left and to the right, it didn't matter what was going on in, in the, in, in, with the children of Israel. That incense was burning day and night and night 
a day and it's a reminder to us. As a matter of fact, the altar of incense reminds us that Jesus is our high priest and he brings our prayers to the throne of God. The scripture says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us followers of Christ. And so he, it's like he takes the prayers of the saints and it's like incense before the throne of God. Jesus, our mediator. Jesus, our great high priest. There's not gonna be another great high priest. Jesus is it. He did it once and for all. There will be no other order of priesthood. It's Jesus who didn't go into the holy of holies made by hand, but went into the holies of holies in heaven, a pattern that is in heaven that God instructed man. Jesus, man. So the altar of incense reminds us of that. I think it encourages us to continue to pray and continue to worship and to continue to rely on God. You know, it's amazing that human nature, think about your life just for a moment. Think about your prayer life. Think about your worship and praise life. Just think about you as a vessel offering up incense before God day and night. I might add that a lot of times we forget to offer up incense. I, I, I know I have. Um, you know what I mean? I, it, it's amazing the human nature, the flesh the, 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 that opposes what the Spirit of God is wanting to do in our life. That's why that we, we, we should not... The Bible says in Romans that we should no longer follow the patterns of this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind and follow the patterns that God has set out for us. But we forget about that, and uh, we forget to pray, right? We forget to worship, and, and we, 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 we leave it to a Sunday morning to, to, to do that practice. And, and though I think it's great and it's biblical, that we should come together uh, as we are and, and not give up the habit of doing that, but come together and praise and worship and, and, and create like this holy temple. All of us join together in unity because of Christ, offering up prayer, offering up worship, and it's a powerful time, right? We have the Levites, right? You know what I'm talking about? Who can pray, praise and, and, and instruments and musicians for the glory of God. However, we forget that practice on Monday and Tuesday or Wednesday, or in the midst of that battle, or in the midst of that temptation, or in the midst of that hard-heartedness or that bitterness, or whatever it may be, that's the very moment and the very time we should offer up incense to God. And so I would say today that we got to keep the incense burning, everybody. We need God, man. You know, on that altar of incense, I don't know if you remember seeing it, there was four horns, one on every corner there, and some say that the horns represent power. And, and the power is because we pray in the name of Jesus or, or we pray in the authority of Jesus. You know, when we learn how to pray, we always end our prayer in Jesus' name, right? But it's more than just entering our, ending our prayer in Jesus' name with just the English word, in Jesus' name. It's the fact that we're found in Christ. 
It's the fact that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's the fact that he paid the price I couldn't pr- pray, pay. And so because of that, I pray in the authority of Jesus. I pray in the blood of Christ of what he's done. I pray from that position. And that's why it has power. That's the only reason it has power. Because we don't have power within ourselves. But we pray in the authority of Jesus. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so again, you're thinking about the Old Testament, you're thinking about the Holy of Holies, the altar of incense that was right there before the veil, the very presence of God, being the incense, even Revelation says that the incense is like the prayers of the saints and the worships, the worship of the saints going up before God. We even see the psalmist say it this way in Psalms chapter 14, verse one, he says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So we even see the psalmist saying it, Lord, let my prayers be incense before you and let my hands being lifted before you be like the evening sacrifice. There's something powerful about lifting our hands and praising God with the body that we have. Like, Lord, here I am. God, here I am. We're sometimes like the prophet in the Old Testament. He says, God, here I am. Take the coal, touch my lip, and purify me, and cleanse me, and use me, God, and renew me, and put a right spirit in me, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, God, and lead me, and guide me, that I might be a living sacrifice, that I might die daily, that I might align myself with your word, that I might speak your word versus my word, O God. This is how we live, right? This is, this is the pattern that God has given us. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Scripture speaks of people offering up this incense all over the Bible. Scripture speaks of lifting of the hands as a sacrifice. We don't have it on the screens, but Hebrews says this, through him, then, talking about Jesus, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. First Timothy says this, Paul was saying, I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting up holy hands. And so the altar of incense, there's so much to say about that, and it's very powerful for us today. But then we get to the veil, and the veil is really the body of Jesus. The veil is the body of Jesus. The veil reminds us of the sacrificial work of Jesus, granting believers direct access to God's presence. The veil does. So Jesus is the veil in the tabernacle, and when he died on the cross, the Bible says that that veil was torn in two. We're gonna read that just in a moment, but it says that when he died on the cross, that veil was torn in two, It was the start of a new covenant. It was Jesus had become the final sacrifice. Jesus had become the great high priest. 
that there would no longer need another sacrifice. There would no longer need a high priest on the day of atonement. There were no longer that only one man could go behind the veil to where the very presence of God is, that all who call upon the name of the Lord can boldly enter into his presence in time of need. Man. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 says, and Jesus cried out again, he's on the cross with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Final separate, the separation had been removed. God had made a way where there seemed to be no way. We see in the, in the New Testament, it said, for the Gentiles, the people who are outside of the promises of God, the, the Jews were inside the promises of God, but the people who were outside of the promises of God, because of the, the veil being torn, God made a way for even the Gentile. It said we've been grafted in by the blood of Christ. We've been grafted into the tree of life. His name is Jesus, and all of his promises are yes and amen that they're mine, that I can declare them, that I can cry out, Abba, Father. Mm. You guys getting this? The separation, the access has been granted. Jesus paid that price. It's a beautiful story. It's a powerful revelation. Hebrews talks about it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is his flesh, his flesh was torn. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts being sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies being washed with pure water. If you remember, the priest went in on the day of atonement into the Holy of Holies and he took some of the sacrifice and he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. And what that's saying is that our heart's been sprinkled because of the blood of Jesus. His mercy triumphs over judgment in our life. It's his blood that redeems us. It's the shed blood of Jesus that is applied upon our life that speaks of the mercy of God. The Ark of the Covenant equals the mercy and the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant reminds us that God's mercy triumphs over judgment. If you don't get anything today, get this. the mercy of God, the Ark of the Covenant. Let me just read some of this to you. The lid of the Ark, known as the mercy seat, was made of pure gold and served as the place of atonement. It was here above the Ark that the high priest would sprinkle the blood of sacrificial animals on the Day of Atonement. The atonement for the sins of the people 
and the covering of sin through the mercy of God. And Titus chapter three says this, he saved us not because of works done by righteousness, not our own works, but according to his own mercy by the washing and the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The pattern of the tabernacle, the items in the tabernacle and the rituals for cleansing all point to Jesus and the finished work on the cross. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus that we now have access to God. And Hebrews says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need.